From Troy Public Radio, Troy University, and the Wiregrass Archives in Dothan, Alabama, this is It Came From the Archives. I'm Greg Phillips. Welcome to the first episode of our show, where we have a conversation with Marty Olaf, director of the Wiregrass Archives. Marty has a number of compelling stories from the region's history to share, and for our first episode, we're diving into the history of a place we all know well, Troy University. As you'll hear, the school started life with a different name that sounds strange to our ears in spite of the use of the word normal. Troy University was originally known as the State Normal School at Troy. Marty tells us that the man who founded it was A.A. Wiley, and he left his imprint on the area. Uh, Marty, thank you for agreeing to do this podcast, and what can you tell the folks at home about the Wiregrass Archives? Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, Greg, and uh, the Wiregrass Archives has been in existence since about 2002. It actually kind of began before that, but it didn't have a real existence until 2002. I'm the founding director. I was hired specifically to come down here. It's founded around the collection of congressional records from Representative Terry Everett, who is from the 2nd Congressional District of Alabama, retired in 2009 after, the two, after not running in the 2008 election. We have about 180 cubic feet of paper records from him. We have a small library uh, from his Washington, D.C. office. We have a number of personal items, a lot of framed photographs, some objets d'art, uh, many commemoratives, uh, lots of artifacts from him, and it's uh, pleasing to say that he's still going pretty strong even right now. So uh, we're, we're very happy to have been the recipient of the largesse of uh, Representative uh, Everett. And we are in his congressional library uh, right now, the reading room of the Wiregrass Archive. Absolutely. And again, I want to remind people that all of the topics that we'll be talking about in this podcast series can be found uh, on our university blog, today.troy.edu. Uh, you can either search for It Came From The Archives, or you can merely click on our Perspectives section. Right now, our Perspectives section is almost all Marty Olaf all the time, so uh, we, we will have all of these articles there so you can do some reading and see some of the photos that we'll be talking about over the course of the series. So, with that being said, in this introductory episode, we're going to talk about an individual who has a strong tie, appropriately enough, to the founding of this very university, Troy University. Uh, this is an individual named A.A. A. Wiley, uh, easy, to, easy for me to say, uh, and he's an individual who, as Marty will tell you, uh, has a little bit of a connection to Troy University's founding and also did some other pretty important stuff in his lifetime and left an imprint here in the area. So, Marty, what can you tell me about uh, this individual and his somewhat unique name? His name is indeed unique. Ariosto Appling Wiley was credited with being one of the founding legislators of uh, Troy University, what came to become Troy University, um, the state normal school at Troy. He wasn't actually in the legislature when 
Troy University was founded in 1887, but he had been a member of the Montgomery City Council for 15 years, and he had been a representative of Montgomery County. Uh, the sessions, three or four of the sessions before uh, 1887, and then he went on to become a state senator. Eventually, in 1900, he was elected to the House of Representatives from the second congressional district of Alabama. Troy, Dothan, Montgomery have almost always been in the second congressional district uh, throughout the 20th century, for sure. And um, Ariosto, Appling, Wiley, was born in uh, Clayton in Barber County in 1848. He moved to Troy with his family sometime before 1851, so he was very young. He went to school in Troy, which is a little unusual. I, only, only certain kids made it through all of the years of school in uh, any place in Alabama. He graduated from Emory and Henry College in 1870. He got his law degree and uh, was admitted to the Alabama Bar in 1871. And here's where his clout began. After working in Clayton for little less than a year, he moved to Montgomery and very soon established himself as a junior partner in the law firm that included Thomas Good Jones, who at that time was the Louisville and Nashville Railroad corporate lawyer in Alabama, who went on to become governor of Alabama from 1890 to 1894. And the other law partner in that firm was Samuel Rice, who was the chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. So here's A.A. A. Wiley and his law partners go on to become the governor of Alabama and the chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, that automatically gives him some clout. He's well-connected. Well-connected, absolutely. He also served as the Atlantic Coastline Railroad's corporate attorney in Alabama from its founding in 1900, which was the year he won election to the House of Representatives, until his death in 1908. So he lived from 1848 to 1908, and from 1871 was a fairly high-powered lawyer in Alabama. Of course, he was also in the, like I said, the Alabama House of Representatives for six terms. He was in the Alabama Senate for three terms. Uh, this was all prior to him going up to Washington, D.C. And again, he had served on the Montgomery City Council for 15 years. What, what was his role? The founding of Troy University is something that uh, has been written about in the past, but what went into that, um, into that founding and what was his role in sort of helping this, uh, this House bill I think 166, what was his role in sort of helping Troy get this school that would turn out to be the linchpin of the community? Founding these normal schools in the uh, 1870s and 1880s and even into the 1890s was very competitive. Cities, towns all over the state fought like cats and dogs to get their own normal school. And Troy was successful, but they weren't successful right off. They had a long-standing lobbying group that worked for them. And lobbying then was different than it is now. You didn't hire people to lobby for you. 
you had community groups that of, of shakers and movers that would go to Montgomery and lobby. The, one of the leaders of the lobbying group was Charles Henderson, known, well known in, in Troy, of course, who went on to become the governor of Alabama in World War I. He was also, a, I believe, the mayor of uh, Troy in the 1880s. I'm, I, I can't exactly remember right off the top of my head. Anyway, he was a shaker and mover even as a very young man in Troy. He led the lobbying group, and what Wiley did was apparently to help both write the bill with a representative from Pike County, a guy named S.J. McLeod. They apparently wrote this bill together, and it appears that Wiley may have done a lot of editing on the original bill because he knew what would be acceptable to the House and the Senate. And then it appears that he helped guide this bill through the Senate, the state Senate, uh, to make sure that it went all the way through. So House Bill 166 was introduced in November of 1886, and it was signed into law on February 26, 1887, by Governor Thomas C. What it provided for was the normal school being sited at Troy, in the city of Troy. That's a big coup. It also gave the city, the university, uh, $3,000 in an annual appropriation. Now let me stop you there. People are always fascinated by, by saying, oh, way back when things didn't cost anything. You know, the nominal price of X was pennies on the dollar. Now you gotta factor inflation into that. And so I did that in preparation for this podcast. I, I went to an inflation calculator called measuringworth.com, which is one that I really like because it gives you a bunch of different ways of measuring the growth of, of, of capital. And that $3,000 annual appropriation that was sent specifically for salaries, couldn't be spent on anything except salaries, was the equivalent today of $89,000 just based on a growth of the consumer price index, but as income figured out a little bit differently, it could be worth anywhere from about $450,000 to about $900,000. Wow. So a pretty substantial amount of money to pay the salaries for the teachers at this school. So the nominal value doesn't mean much. It's something that we like to talk about, but you have to realize that, that the nominal amount of money now and nominal amount of money then has to be corrected for inflation. The city had to furnish a building, which it did for $10,000. And I'm not sure exactly where that building was in Troy. I'm sure that local people in Troy, local historians there know where that building was. I'm not very clear on exactly where it was. The cornerstone for that building was finally laid in August of uh, 1887. And then, of course, the university grew out from there. Now, one of the things I find fascinating is the idea of a normal school. Yeah, what does that, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, a normal school is a teaching college. But even the word college doesn't, didn't mean then what it means now. High school went through ninth grade. 
you were lucky if you finished ninth grade. And in Alabama, white schooling in the public school was through ninth grade until the 1900s. And it wasn't until 1939 that Alabama provided for 10th, 11th, and 12th grade for African Americans. So the school, the, your school years were short and your school year was short. It's not like it is now. Very much shorter, very much less education than, than now. Normal school normally taught the last two years of high school, what we would consider 11th and 12th grade possibly what we would consider the first year of college for very advanced students. And the idea was that they would go out to teach. So they not only learned content, you know, English courses, math courses, history courses, the stuff that we normally learn, but they also learned pedagogy, how to teach. And the study of pedagogy, the history of pedagogy is pretty fascinating. Um, we talk about, at Troy, our motto being teach the mind to, to think, the body to act, and the heart to feel. That is a pedagogical statement from a new, new at the time, approximately the time that we were founded, um, pedagogist named Pestalozzi. And he formulated this idea of what you're trying to do with students. So if you knew what you're trying to do with students, getting their minds to think, not just to rotely know things, getting their minds to think, getting their bodies to act, so physical education, getting their hearts to feel so they weren't stifled as human beings, those were his articulations and we modified them a little bit for the, uh, uh, for the motto, but basically comes out of his idea. But that's as opposed to other kinds of pedagogy. What is it, the song, uh, I believe it's East Side, West Side, where you talk about, talk to the tune of the hickory stick in, in school. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, and I know I thought this way, a lot of people think that means that you would be switched if you didn't do the right thing. That's not what it means at all. It means that a lector, stood at the front of the class, and it might be a senior classman or, or a girl in class, and they had a rod, and yes, you could get flayed with this thing, but they would tap it on the desk, and you would recite your lessons out loud in mass to the tapping of that rod on the desk. Complete rote memorization so that you would be trained in the kind of thinking that was pretty beneficial in many cases to factory work. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, I, was, I was just wondering as you were saying that, I was like, what would be the benefit of that? In factory terms of, work. There we go. Yep. Now, the, so Troy gets its own normal school. Uh, Wiley, he didn't live that much longer beyond that, about 20 years, I think. But he did have another uh, relative that had a little bit of involvement with Troy, uh, an Oliver Cicero Wiley, I believe, who became the uh, president of the board at Troy. Uh, is that the case? That is the case. Uh, Oliver Cicero Wiley, O.C. Wiley, 
1851, so he was born probably in Troy and died in 1917, also very short-lived. Um, he actually was elected to fill A.A. A. Wiley's final few months in office. Wiley died after the election, but before the end of his term, and so his brother O.C. was um, a member of the House of Representatives from the 2nd Congressional District from November of 1908 until the term ended in March 1909. O.C. Wiley, was not only a member and, and president of the Board of Trustees at Troy Normal College at that time, he was a director of the Farmers and Merchants National Bank of Troy. He was an officer in the Standard Chemical and Oil Company of Troy. And I believe I have seen a few signs on buildings, paintings on the side of buildings about Standard Oil of Troy. And probably most importantly, he was the founding president of the Alabama Midland Railway from 1887 to 1892, which was absorbed by the Atlantic coastline eventually. Somebody else absorbed it first, and then it was absorbed by Atlantic coastline um, in 1900 when the Atlantic coastline formed, and A.A. A. Wiley was the chief lawyer for Atlantic coastline. So all of these things intermingle. It is fascinating how all of this history intermingles, how these figures, disparate figures come together. And and we see that uh, that legacy now at Troy. These The Wileys, as it turns out, are kind of unsung, I don't want to say heroes, but unsung founders of, of what we have today at Troy University. There's a very good article in the Troy Messenger from August 4th. 1887 that lays out two important ideas. The, this is the first page. The first page article from the left over to the right, so you know pride of place, most important article, describes this founding of Troy University, the Troy Normal College. And then when you get to the end of that article, in that column, the very next article is a description of O.C. Wiley becoming the president of the Alabama Midland Railway. Wow. So that's a, that's a pretty interesting, pretty important um, newspaper page. Sometimes they're, they're real important, and they, they last for the, for the ages, you might say. Well, one of the questions that I had coming out of uh, reading the article originally how did we come across getting this collection uh, here at the archives? One of A.A. A. Wiley's descendants, who I hesitate to, to name sure. you know, publicly for no particular reason than just privacy concerns, um, contacted the dean of the libraries, Dr. Chris Schaefer, and offered him a small collection of pieces, hard copy pieces, a photograph, a uh, nameplate from the congressional desk of A.A. A. Wiley, and two or three other small items. So these things couldn't be scanned and, and retain their, their, their properties. They needed to be kept someplace. He's from Washington, D.C. He offered these things to the uh, Troy Library, and the Troy Library was not particularly well equipped to 
gather these things and do anything but stick them in a storeroom, you know, completely secure storeroom and a good storeroom, but they couldn't provide much access because they're just not set up to do it. So because, because the uh, uh, Wiregrass Archives is a unit of the libraries overall, even though it's, part, it's down here uh, with the Dothan Library, Schaefer contacted me and asked me if I'd be willing to take these pieces, even though they pertained to a Troy-specific person, and we tend not to collect in Pike County. We don't collect much about Troy. That's left to the people in Troy. Um, and of course I said, yeah, sure, we'll take this, you know, and, and with the idea that when they felt comfortable having this material up there, that all of it would go up there. Then over time, more material has come to us. The latest physical donation's pretty interesting. Two walking canes, not heavy duty, I need this to keep me from falling over, but a, a swagger sticks, basically. <laughs> um, very nice, including uh, one with a silver handle that has Wiley's name engraved on it, which may be O.C. Wiley, maybe A.A. Wiley. We're not sure who it exactly belonged to. And a, a broken riding crop with a number of semi-precious stones in its handle. So we have these two swagger sticks and one riding crop that we received from uh, this donor. And of course, we've received a lot of photographs, which are really pretty fascinating of uh, Wiley. One of the most interesting is a photograph of him as a military officer on sitting on horseback. And unless you know the story of this photograph, it doesn't make much sense because his blanket over his horse has a number five on it. Well, how, let's see, militia. He was, a, we knew that he was an officer in the militia. Well, we only had regiments one through four of the Alabama militia. There wasn't a regiment five of the Alabama militia. So how did he end up with this number five on what was obviously a military horse? In 1898, he was indeed an officer in the militia. He transferred as a captain in the, I believe, the first Alabama militia, became a... Um, uh, became a lieutenant colonel. This is what these guys did. If you wanted promotion, you had to transfer. He transferred to the second Alabama militia. And then in 1898, President McKinley appointed him to the 5th Cavalry Volunteers. And when the Alabama 2nd militia was not sent to Cuba to fight, but was sent to Miami Beach to turn sand over to prepare the sites for exploitation by Henry Flagler, a noted industrialist who's responsible for all kinds of resorts, including the creation of Miami Beach. They were sent there to, to throw dirt. Wiley ends up going down to Cuba and being transferred from the active fighting forces. You know, the war didn't last very long anyway only three, three or four months. Um, and he's transferred from the active fighting forces to become the chief of staff 
to General Henry Lawton. Then he became the assistant governor of the Santiago province under General Leonard Wood. And what he did was to create basically the entire structure of, the, of that province's government. You know, when the Spanish left, there was no government in, in Cuba. They had all the governmental infrastructure and how things worked and what laws pertained and how, how you went about getting laws and things like that. The Americans came in and created a government. So you've got an individual here who founded a normal school, apparently had a lot of swagger and fashion sense, judging by his canes, and uh, also went and fought in a war and set up a government. That's basically what you have. <laughs> That's a lot more living than I've done. Yeah, me too. Me too, <laughs> indeed. Uh, and in fact, if I can go on for just another second, sure. after he was elected to Congress in 1900, took his seat in March of 1901, there's an act called the Militia Act, also known as the Dick Act, passed in 1903 that began the process of changing state militias into the National Guard. And in fact, that's when we start using on and off the phrase National Guard instead of state militia. It comes from the, the Dick Act. It was a real, a complete reorganization of state militias and their relationship to the regular army. Now, that wasn't the last of these acts. Uh, the, the one that really pertains in the early 20th century is the uh, Army Act of 1916 the National Defense Act of 1916, and that federalizes the National Guard. But the Dick Act is what starts that. And he was um, someone who helped draft the Dick Act. So we've reached the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the Wiregrass Archives. There is still so much to discover and so many more stories to be told on this podcast. You can find more information on your own at troy.edu slash wiregrassarchives. If you like this podcast, be sure to tell a friend, and we'd love it if you left a review at the App Store. It helps other people find the show. I'm Greg Phillips, joined as always by Marty Olaf, director of the Wiregrass Archives in Dothan, Alabama. This episode was recorded in the studios of Troy Public Radio and produced by Joey Hudson. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We'll be back again soon to tell you another story, and you'll know it came from the archives.